0: It's time to work, but not for something. It's not like it's time to work so that the Lord will be pleased with you. No, it's that the Lord's already done his work, and now we get to respond with our own in obedience. We get to say, oh, Lord, take me under your lordship. You're right. It is time to work, but it's not time to work towards something that's just going to go in my pocket and fall out the bottom. It's time to work towards something that will have an eternal weight attached to it. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan, Capistrano. Wow, that's amazing. We'll see if you guys are still clapping in 40 minutes. I'm so happy to be back up here. I think that's just something that you say obligatorily because I'm not really that happy. Teaching the Bible is really hard. It's not hard because, well, it's hard for a lot of reasons, but it's the weight of the responsibility of it. You know what I mean? But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's good to feel that weight because it's real. And uh, God's pretty serious about the way that he's represented to his people, right? We see that a lot. So uh, tonight, the book of Haggai. Old school dudes call it Haggai. It doesn't make any sense because there's only one eye. Haggai, Haggai. In the Hebrew, this is a CH, so it's got the Lugi. Haggai. Um, that's all I know. <laughs> this is uh, the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Thank you, Andrew. I got the shortest and the second shortest. Yeah, I'm thankful for that. Uh, this is also the first of three of what they call post-exilic It just means after the exile of Babylon books. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, or Malachi, depending on how you say it. Then the silence would come before uh, J the B would break it, John the Baptist. Um, And just as a reminder, I know Andrew has reminded you guys many times, but just to keep it fresh in your minds. What's up, brother? Just keep it fresh in your minds. Uh, These are not minor prophets because what they had to say wasn't as important as the major prophets. Uh, It's just simply their message was a shorter frame of time, that's all. Guys like Isaiah would teach for prophesy there for 50 years, you know. Haggai, for example, was with the people for three months. So minor only in uh, time frame, not in message, keep that in mind. Um, But let's pray and then we'll set the scene of this book. Lord, thank you for who you are. Lord, thank you that your word is so rich and full of life. Thank you that it is alive. And Lord, tonight we just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit and under the authority of the risen Christ, that you would come into our lives, into our minds tonight, and that you would make a change, that you would impact us with your living word. We need you tonight, Lord. I need you especially. Fill my mouth with your words in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the scene. You guys have been reading the minor prophets. There's only two left after this. And so many times, major prophets and minor prophets are just completely thrashing the children of Israel, right? Um, And (laughs) they'll tell them, hey, man, you keep doing this. And the Lord said that He's going to do some things you won't like. One of those things that they warned against all the time was a Babylonian invasion. Hey, if you keep acting like this and you don't repent, the Lord's going to have to send Babylon in and wreck you because he loves you. But that's how he's going to have to do it. So they were strongly warned against it. They stayed stiff-necked in so many ways, disobedient. And in 587 B.C., the inevitable happened. Babylon overthrew Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, the first one, Solomon's. They exiled God's people, brought them out of Jerusalem and into Babylonian captivity. But in the same breath that the prophets would speak of a warning against that, they would also speak of a new Jerusalem that would come, where God would rebuild through a remnant. So that was 587 B.C. Haggai picks up in 520 B.C. It's all backwards, so it's kind of weird. It's like negative math, you know what I mean? So I don't know what that is. Like 70 years later or something like that. 587, 520. 67 years? I don't know. I'd, I never did that. Uh, Babylon collapses, 5, 520 B.C. So Babylon collapses in, in, in that time. And Persia takes over in 538 B.C. So when that change happened... Uh, The Persians allowed for the return of any Israelite that wanted to return to Jerusalem, which laid in ruins from Babylon. And of all the ones that were exiled, the Bible tells us that a remnant of 50,000 returned. So just 50,000. The rest chose to stay in Babylonian captivity. They chose to stay in Babylon. Why? All kinds of different reasons. You know, you could speculate, but... They had trade routes through Babylon. They were making money that way. They were good at that. The children of Israel were always a little bit hustlers. You know what I mean? They could could do what they had to do to make that coin, and they still do to this day. But not in a weird way. They just do. (laughs) So 50,000 of them come back. The rest of them stay. They're like, you know what? I kind of got a good thing going on here. I'm going to stay here. The 50,000 that came back, They didn't go with the hopes of, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem to be rich. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem because it's going to be the easy thing to do. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem because it's going to be lucrative. They go back to Jerusalem because that's their home and they want to see it rebuilt. They want to see it brought back. It was destroyed. They came back for spiritual reasons. There had not been a temple in place this whole time since Babylon destroyed it. So the ones that stayed, they had built a life. They didn't want to come back to their ancestral homes. The one that went, they came for spiritual reasons. The ones that came back, and kind of a kind of a weird fun fact for you, if you're a nerd like me, well, the ones who stayed in Babylon. From them came the wise men that would see the star and come see the newborn Messiah. That's that's wh- kind of where they would come from later on. But anyways, so there were two leaders for these fifty thousand: uh, Zerubbabel. He was a prince, the born prince in the exile. He was born in captivity. That's all he knew. And Joshua. Joshua was there to reestablish the priesthood. If you know anything about the old covenant and the way things worked then, the priesthood was very important for those people. They were not able to worship God or to atone for sins or any of these things without a working temple and a priesthood to run it. So Joshua would be in charge of that. Zerubbabel was the prince. Uh, under the Persian government, or whatever you want to call it, regime, um, only the Persian king was allowed to be called king. Everybody else had to be a prince or something lower. So that's why Zerubbabel takes the title of prince. Um, so check this out. They come back. They're exiled. Babylon comes in destroys Jerusalem takes the people of Israel as captives. Persia destroys Babylon, invites the children of Israel back. 50,000 come back. They come back for spiritual reasons. They come back to rebuild the temple. They want to resume worship. So they come back with this vigor, like this hope. There's this underlying hope that they come back with. Like, man, we can rebuild the temple and worship God in that way again. It's possible. So they come back. And they lay the foundation for the temple and the small walls, like the sub wall. And that's it. And the crazy thing is, they stop. They build the foundation. After all this time in exile, after all this time in captivity, they finally get an invitation to come back to their ancestral home to rebuild the temple of God. They build a foundation and they stop. For 16 years, they stop. The house of God is just left with just a bare foundation. Why? What happened? What in the world? That's the that's a, a weird turn to the story. There's a lot of different reasons they stop, but let's let's go to Haggai, chapter one. There's only two chapters. Haggai chapter one, and let's read. So we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 11. It will kind of give you um, context for what's going on here. So it says, In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel. I don't know that guy's name, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. The Lord of armies says this, And this is kind of a a little bit weird linguistically. But he says that the people have been saying, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. And Haggai starts to talk to them not like traditional prophets would necessarily. He instead starts to pose questions to them to get them to think. And he says... Is it a time for you yourselves to live in your paneled houses while this house, the house of the Lord, lies in ruins? The Lord of armies says this Think carefully about your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough to be satisfied. You drink, but never enough to be happy. You put on clothes, but you never have enough to get warm. The one who goes and earns wages puts wages into his bag, and his bag has a hole in it. The Lord says this, Think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber, and build this house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You expected much, but it amounted to little. You brought the harvest to your house, and I ruined it. Why? Well, he says, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins. While each of you is busy with his own house, so on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills. On the grain, on the new wine, on the fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on man and animal, and on all that your hands produce. So it would be easy. It would be easy. And, you know, as I was preparing to teach tonight, so many great Bible teachers kind of went from here as a springboard and talked about how the children of Israel had their priorities misplaced. Man, it even says, if you look, Ezra's a commentary for Haggai, basically. The book of Haggai fits in the book of Ezra. And so you get like a a broad picture of it. But when you dig a little deeper, it says that there were these specialized panels that they had imported for the temple. And they had taken those panels and just put them in their own house. (laughs) Like, oh, I'll just just make a ceiling out of this stuff. I know it was supposed to be in the temple, but... It's not time for that right now. I'm just gonna put it right here. This looks kind of cool. I kind of like it in my house, to be honest, baby. What do what you think about that? That's kind of nice, right? Yeah, that'll be that'll be cool. They started doing things like that, and it would be so easy right here to stop and to say they had misplaced priorities, and and I could easily craft a sermon that would just go after you and after me and say your priorities are misplaced and. This is us. We are these people, too. And are we these people, too? Yeah, for sure. Are our priorities misplaced? Probably 90% of the time, right? It's like, yeah, we're human beings. That's like what we do. We're little sin factories, you know? (laughs) So it would be easy, but... (laughs) Sorry. Raise your hand if you want a strong rebuke tonight. Raise your hand if you're like, you know what, I'm coming to church tonight just so I could feel completely ashamed of myself. Right? Sometimes, maybe sometimes you do want that. And the Lord's good like that because he'll do that, but he'll, bring, he'll do it for his own glory and for your good. And he's good like that because he chastises those whom he loves. And when he dunks on us, it's for a reason. It's to bring us closer to him. Just like with My daughter. If I see her doing something dangerous, she knows she gets spanked for two reasons. Lying and blatant disobedience. Those two things she gets spanked for. I've had to spank her three times in her life. Three times I put this hand on that little booty and spanked it. Bow! (laughs) And she knows exactly why. I've never once spanked her out of anger, but I've spanked her for lying or being disobedient blatantly. Not just like, hey, pick up your room, and then I come back 15 minutes later, and it's not picked up. I'm talking about like, Like, no, I'm not going to do what you just said. Really? That's blatant disobedience. You sure you want to do that? Yeah. One time. Yeah, I am sure. All right. About an hour from now, I'm going to spank you for that disobedience. Okay. I don't care. It's like, all right, cool. But it's crazy because just like the Lord, (laughs) the same hand that he blesses us with is the same hand that he disciplines us with. Because he's a loving father and he's good. So when I spanked that little booty, an hour later, I said, do you know why I'm spanking you? She said, because I was disobedient. I said, why? What would you say? She said, I said, no, when you told me to do something. I said, that's right. The reason I told you to do that is because it was for your own good. Bend over. Pow. Gets one. Just takes one. That's it. Just one. Not even that hard. I'm talking 30%. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I promise you, you would think I was Harry Potter. It's like this thing's a magic wand. Right then, she's back. Daddy, I'm so sorry I was disobedient, and I wanted to listen to you, but I just said no, and I didn't listen. But I'm sorry, and next time I'll listen. I said, hey, I don't ever want to spank you again, as long as you live. She said, you don't? It's like, you think I like that? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't like that. I, I wish I never had to spank you again, and you know what? If you obey your daddy and you don't lie to me? I never will. She said, really? I said, yeah. She's like, oh, I'm listening to listen to you all the time, daddy. Yeah, I'm not getting spanked anymore. She got spanked again. But that's what she said. Lasts like 10 months. You don't have to spank them for a long time. Because you just say, whoa. And they go, no, no, I'll be good. Anyways. <laughs> I think, sometimes, I think sometimes it's really easy to judge and to rebuke. But how difficult is it to stop and to say why? That's what I want to talk about tonight. How often do you see someone and just immediately judge them and think, oh, this guy. Oh, this girl. Yeah, I know everything about her just from watching her cut me off in traffic. Oh, I know exactly what she's like. She's one of Those, You know what I mean? It's easy because we're sinful and we see that in other people. But do you ever stop and think, man, maybe she's going through some. Maybe she's in a big hurry and I don't know about it. I don't feel like we do that very often. Listen to this. Why would the people of God who were exiled and invited back to their ancestral home work for a little bit And then just completely stop for 16 years. Did they not want the temple back? Did they not want a sense of home again? Did they not want to belong to the land that was promised to them over and over and over again? Of course not. So then why? Well, luckily, the word of God is alive and it's dope and it explains itself a lot. So if you go to the book of Ezra chapter 4, you don't have to turn there. It's five verses and it's this easy. It says this. When the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles, the people we're talking about, were building a temple for the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, the prince of the people, and the family heads and said to them, let us build with you. <laughs> for we also worship your God and have been sacrificing to him. Hold on, stop real quick. You've been sacrificing to him how? How? Joshua is not with you. The priesthood is not with you. You do not have a temple. How have you been sacrificing to him? They haven't. They're just being schemy. They just want to take these people again. That's what they're trying to do. They're like, oh, if we tell them we worship the same God, we could probably slide back in and have them do what we need them to do. Nah, man. Zerubbabel's smarter than that. But he says, since the king of Ezerhaddon and Assyria brought us here, But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the other heads of Israel, the families, answered, you may have no part with us in building a house for our God, since we alone will build it for the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people who were already in the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They also bribed officials to act against them to frustrate their plans throughout the reign of King Cyrus of Persia and until the reign of King Darius of Persia. When it says they bribed officials, the people that were over the city, basically they hired lawyers to just go nuts on the people building the temple again, this remnant that we're talking about. So you might think, oh, man, these people, what a bunch of lazy people. They start the foundation and then they just stop. What are they doing? Man, if that was me, the temple would have been done already. It's like, no, it wouldn't have. But do you ever stop to think why? Why would the people of God stop building the temple of God? Because they were greatly discouraged. It's right here in Ezra the people in Persia were doing everything they could to stop them because they wouldn't let them in on it and, you know, trick the people of of Israel again. They're like, "Nah, man, we've been through all this. We're good this time. We're going to build it ourselves. matter of fact, Haggai gives an example. He says something like, hey, if you take uh, dirty dishes and you put it with clean dishes, do the dirty dishes get clean or the clean dishes get dirty? That sounds weird for a second. But when you think about it, you're like, uh, the clean dishes get dirty because if there's like some bean dip on this dirty plate and it gets on my clean plate. This clean plate is dirty for sure now. And I guy's like, yeah, exactly. Don't build with those guys. Clean and unclean, don't mix. The Lord told you to build this temple. You're his people. You're the remnant. You're the ones who are going to build the new thing. You don't need their help. Matter of fact, you will not use them at all. You'll do it yourselves because you're my people and this is my work that I've called you to. Oh, So Zerubbabel's right on right here when he says, nah, man, we're good. So no wonder they stopped building. They came to a land thinking they would return and have a home again, that all those years in exile were done and they were coming home, but then they get stifled. But check this out. This is crazy. If you go back to Haggai chapter 1, we finished in verse 11. And Haggai's, man, so Haggai is sent to these people in their time of great discouragement. 16 years they've been discouraged. After all that, and Haggai comes and he says, hey, I just want you guys to think about how your life looks right now. You're cold and you put a bunch of clothes on, but you still don't get warm. You eat a bunch of food and you're still hungry. Why? Because you're discouraged. Why? Because you stopped doing the work of the Lord. Why? Because these people were going crazy on you. And I get it. And so instead of Haggai going, you How many times in the prophets you hear, you wicked and perverse generation, you stiff-necked people. Right? Haggai doesn't come like that to them. Haggai comes like, look, let me encourage you. Think about it. You eat and you're still hungry. Why? You put these clothes on, you're still cold. Why? And Haggai says, it's time to do the work of God again. And in verse 12, if you go to Haggai 1, it says this. Then Zerubbabel, the high priest, Joshua and Jehozadak, and the entire remnant, all 50,000 of the people, this is the best part, obeyed the Lord their God. And the words of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, so the people feared the Lord. Do you know how rare this is? In the Old Testament, a prophet says something encouraging in love. That's already weird. Second thing, the people listen to him first time, right away. (laughs) We have not seen that the past few weeks, right? They hear Haggai say this one thing. He just asks them a bunch of questions. Why do you think when you do this, this happens? Why do you think, why do you think, why do you think? It's time to work. And they're like, you're right, it is time to work. And they start to work right away. They go up and start cutting lumber. They start building the temple again and they're stoked about it. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's a picture of obedience. What did these people need? They did not need to get dunked on again. They had been getting dunked on this whole time. They had faced persecution this whole time. They just came back from exile. They come back and instead of having all this new energy to rebuild, the people come against them there in their own home that they invited them back to. So they get discouraged. But Haggai comes in and instead of just rebuking them, he asks them some questions. Hey, is this where you want to be? Is this what you thought was going to happen when you came back? No? Are you satisfied? No? Then let's start building again. And they obey right away. They say, those are the words of God We're going to obey. And they feared the Lord. They went under his lordship and said, yes, we're your people. You're our God. We will build your temple. You know what's crazy? Once they got to work right then and there, like right after Haggai came to them, five years later, the temple's done. Five years later, the temple's done. It's like I was talking to my daughter Andrew and I were talking, we're like, man, if you could teach a little kid, you could teach anybody. And so I pulled Azalea aside. I was like, let me talk to you about the book of Haggai. She's like, okay. (laughs) But I was like, they built this temple in five years. This was 3,000 years ago. You know what I mean? It's like, they went all in on this temple. (laughs) They put their hands to the plow, man. They needed to be encouraged. They needed someone to come in and say, hey, to say this. I'll show you. Haggai chapter 2 It says this. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It says, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehoshaddak, and to the entire remnant of these people. So the Lord says this through Haggai. And this is interesting too. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? So it's been about 70 years, right? So there are still old heads that are alive that saw the first temple, that saw Solomon's temple before it was all destroyed. And so he's like, Who's, who among you saw that? And inevitably some old heads saw that. And he's like, how does it look to you now? Right? And they, they just got started. It's like it does, Haggai was there a total of three months. So even if this is three months later, it's like it's not a lot going on yet if it took five years to finish it. How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Check this out. This is Haggai's message. It says, even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, All you people of the land, this is the Lord's declaration. It's time to work, for I am with you. This is the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. That's what they needed to hear. (laughs) That's what they needed to hear. Tonight. Tonight, if you've been wallowing in discouragement, if you've faced crazy opposition, if you feel like, man, I'm really not doing enough for the Lord, do I need to remind you of that? Do you remind yourself of that? Does the Holy Spirit still do things in you where you go, ah, man, it's been like two weeks since I got in the word. Man, so lame. I'm so lame. Do I need to tell you that? Do I need to stand up here and say you're lame? Are you Jesus' Are you Jesus's church? Have you been bought by his own blood? Are you his people? I tell you the same thing then. I say be strong. It's time to work. It's time to work, but not for something. It's not like it's time to work so that the Lord will be pleased with you. No, it's that the Lord's already done his work, and now we get to respond with our own in obedience. We get to say, oh, Lord, take me under your lordship. You're right. It is time to work. But it's not time to work towards something that's just going to go in my pocket and fall out the bottom. It's time to work towards something that will have an eternal weight attached to it. Be strong. What's the second thing he says? Work. What's the third thing he says? I'm with you. If you forgot, if you feel discouraged tonight, the Lord is with you. Be strong. And work because he's with you in the work. And he says this lastly. Actually, he says two more things. My spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. Who needs to hear that tonight? Be strong. Work. I'm with you. My spirit is present among you. Don't be afraid. That's what the Lord would say to his people. And they respond in joy. Now they're working with a brand new vigor. They got a brand new passion. Like the Lord's with us. We don't have to be afraid. He said the work's going to get done if we just do it. The opposition, he's going to shut them down. And guess what? He does. And guess what? Now when they eat, they're satisfied. And now when they put on a jacket, they get warm. Why? Because the Lord's with them. And they're working now. They got out of that discouragement. And getting out of that discouragement did not come from just getting rebuked and dunked on like crazy. It came from someone coming in and saying, man, you guys have been... You guys have been getting beat down for 16 years, and before that in exile, you're getting down way longer than that. I didn't come to beat you down. I came to raise you up. Be strong. God's with you. The work is right there. Let's go do it. Let's go rebuild this temple because God says right here in this chapter, this is where it is. He says that the second temple will dwarf the glory of the first temple. <laughs> what? What does that mean? I don't know. It's way smaller. <laughs> Solomon's temple was way nicer. It was bigger. It was more fancy. Had purple pomegranates in it. But he said the glory of the second temple will surpass the first one. Whew. Man, he's good like that. You know what's crazy? Just like Obadiah. When Andrew was like, hey, you want Zephaniah or Haggai? He could have said, like, <laughs> he could have said it in Chinese. It wouldn't have made a difference to me. I don't know. I wasn't like, ooh, man, okay, well, Zephaniah is this, 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 and this. But Haggai is this, 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 and this. I was like, it's pretty much all the same to me. I don't really know off the top of my head anything about either one of those. So, yeah. But as I, as I studied for tonight... And put in the work that it takes. This book ministered to me so crazy, man. And to be honest with you, for the last, I don't know, maybe week, I've been so tender. I I don't know. That's the word I would use. This maybe sounds weird. But the Lord has had me in this tender place, man. And it's like a couple, you know, we work here on staff. And so we're you know, probably 8% of my time is in front of anybody, and 92% of my time is at the dump, at the warehouse, uh, climbing ladders, taking out trash, you know, cleaning these restrooms, setting up these chairs. There's just a lot of busy work that I do, but I'm happy to do it. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you that's what my week usually looks like. And as I'm, like, doing all these things throughout the building, off-site, when I run into, you know, my coworkers co-laborers, you know, they'll say, hey, how's it going, man? You're teaching Thursday, right? Like, how's it going? And immediately I'm like, oh, yeah, it's going really good, actually. And the Lord's having me in this place where I'm just like tender, man. I don't know what else to say. Why? I'll tell you why. And, you know, I want to be faithful to the text, and I I don't want to deviate at all, but I do want to, like, kind of take this home for some of you guys, right? Like, sometimes sometimes it just feels a little awkward to talk about like Zerubbabel and princes and Persia and 580 minus 60s, 520 BC, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes those things are a little weird. Maybe sometimes we just have to talk about us. You know what I mean? Like, What does that even look like for us? I'll tell you what it looks like for me, man. As I read this book, I saw so many parallels to my own life and, you know, 2016 was the hardest year of my life, right? So it's not even that long ago, but 2016 was so tough. And the years before it, like the five years before it were hard, but 2016 was so much harder. And I went through this season of loss I lost everything. I lost everything that I held dear to me. Everything. Community, friends, family, reputation, status. I mean, anything. Like, all I had left was (laughs) my, my baby book, like, with all my pictures in it, you know? And, like, a couple quilts that my grandma had made me. Maybe, like, a good thick jar of peanut butter. And that's about it. By the grace of God, my relationship with my daughter was intact and good. I'm very thankful for that. But other than that, I lost everything. And you know, just like when I hear about these people being in exile for so long, I know this sounds maybe this sounds like a far stretch, but it, for four years, in a sense, I was in exile. For four years, I disappeared after I lost everything. I was so deeply hurt. That I just retreated to a little town called Redlands it's like an hour from here it's not far it's like you go hit the 10 and then you just go east for a while and when in 2008 I mean my whole life I was just like a touring musician that's what I did for money my whole life um and someone who I respected said hey man you can't do that for real and like uh some at some point you're gonna like have to get a real job you're going to have to become a real boy. Why don't you get, like, your barber license or something just in case? And so I listened at the time because when I would come off tour, there would be just weeks where I didn't do anything. So instead I took those weeks and I put them towards barber school. I finished barber school. So anyways, for four years I just I walked into the very first shop in Redlands broken. And I was like, hey, man, you, you guys need a barber? And he's like, can you start tomorrow? And I was like, yeah, I'll see you at 9 o'clock. And I left. And for four years I just cut hair. Like, I could not do much more than show up at work, cut hair, and walk home. I didn't even drive really that much at this point in time. I live like two blocks from the shop. I just walk down there and cut and go home. And it's funny because the Lord talks about these people who, you know, like we've been saying, you work all day and you put all your money in this bag, but the bag's got a hole in it. And it's like, I was doing all right as a barber. I was just making a big wad of cash every day. And at the end of the month, I'd be like... What happened to all that cash that I was making every day? What am I doing? But I didn't really care. I was just like in this weird daze. And for four years, I'm stuck in this daze. And and the Lord started to try to speak to me. And I don't want to make that sound weird, but the Lord just would like wake me up in the middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning for weeks. And be like, hey, let's talk. And I'd be like, I'm good. Thanks, but no thanks. Two weeks later, every single night, 3 a.m., 3 a.m., 3 a.m., two weeks later, hey, let's talk. And I'm like, I'm good. I don't want to talk to you. Thanks. <laughs> and one morning, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. It's like a month in. The Lord's like, hey, let's talk. I was like, all right, you want to talk? <laughs> I just put on these sweats, and I just went outside, and I started walking, and I'm like mad walking. I'm like, you want to talk? Let's talk. Yeah. Oh, you want to talk? Wait, you want me to talk? You can talk. Oh, I'm going to talk? All right, cool. If I'm going to talk, where were you? Dude, you saw these people rip me apart. You didn't do anything. Where were you? I got completely destroyed. I lost everything, and you just sat there. You want me to talk? That's what I'm going to say. I don't want to talk to you. You left me. And I was just honest. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. I felt like my temple had got destroyed and I couldn't worship anymore and I was taken captive in some weird place. Redlands, California in a barbershop. <laughs> That's how I felt. And I was like, what do you want to talk about? Like, man, you saw what they did to me. You saw what happened. You didn't do anything. You t- the Lord told me when I lost everything, he told me two things. He said, I'll be your vindication. I had to look that word up. The second thing he told me was, your greatest days of ministry are ahead of you. And I I felt like Sarah. I laughed. (laughs) My greatest what? Dude, do you have any idea what I spent the last 25 years doing? I've been serving you my whole life, and you just let me get destroyed. My greatest years are ahead of me. That's a joke, man. Why would you even say that to me? And I'm just... For the first time in probably four years, I'm opening up in a real way. I would still pray for my daughter and stuff. I'd still at night be like, Lord, just bless my daughter and keep her safe. And, you know, when we spend time tomorrow, I just pray that, you know, things would go really well and blah, blah, blah. But I was not being honest with the Lord at all. And when I was finally honest, those are the things that came out of my heart. Yeah, we're not good, man. You did me dirty. That's how I felt. And as soon as I got all that garbage out of my heart, I fell on my face. By this point, I'm, like, three miles out into, like, just, like, these hills. There was no house or anything. If you've ever been to Redlands, I'm just, like, out in uh, in Prospect Park. And it's just in the middle of nowhere. And I'm just, it's, like, now it's, like, 345. And I'm on my face in the dirt. I'm, like, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I said all that stuff to you. You're the living God, and I'm just a sweet idiot, and I just said all that mean stuff. I'm so sorry. I'm just hurt. And right then and there, Lord was like, now we could do something. Now we could do something. You think I don't know what's in your heart? You think I don't know that you're discouraged? You think I haven't sat there and watched you struggle for the past four years? I've seen you the whole time, I was with you the whole time. You were never alone. I was just waiting for you to be honest with me. In that season, if anybody would have come to me and said, hey, man, all you got to do is work harder. Oh, my gosh, I might have socked you in the mouth. (laughs) I can't work harder. I worked my whole life, and this is what I got. I can't work harder. Right after all that went down, when I was real with the Lord, I came home, I started just, like, writing stuff down. Just, like, journaling. You guys ever just, like... Get your thoughts out on paper. That's what I was doing. And the phone rang, and I was like, hello? He's like, hey, man, my worship leader's going on sabbatical for seven weeks. I need you to come and step in for me. And I was like, (laughs) oh, you're serious? I don't do that anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, bye. And I hung up, and I was like, that was weird. Nobody had called me for something like that in a long time. And the Lord was like, hey, man, I need you to call that guy back and tell him that you're going to do it. And I was like, nah, I'm good, man. I don't want to do that. And he reminded me of when I, when I had a surgery on my knee when I was in high school. I was 16, you know. Some guy hit me in football. I was running back. My kneecap was way back here. And I tried to put it back myself, and I ripped a bunch of stuff. And so I had surgery. And I remember laying, I remember laying there at night one night just crying because it hurt so bad. I'm like, oh, Lord, it hurts. And I got my knee up in the air, and I'm like, oh. And the Lord was like, you remember that night, Brent? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, you remember that night? He's like, I remember every night. And he's like, the last four years is like that night. Like, you needed some time to just lay there in pain. Like, it just hurt. There was nothing else to do. But remember when you started going to physical therapy and you had to like put some weight on it and you're like, oh my gosh, this hurts so bad, I can't do this. Or they made me get on this stupid exercise bike and I remember I couldn't get it all the way quite around and the doctors came by one day and kicked the pedal and I was all, oh, 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 and it hurt so bad and they had to drain, drain it so many times and all that stuff. But he's like, the same way you laid there in pain when your knee was busted, you had to lay there in pain when your heart was busted. But I'm going to need you to start putting some weight back on the gifts. Because they're not yours. (laughs) They're his. He said, they're mine. And I want to use them again. Okay. I'll call him back. I went and played this thing for seven weeks. I was scared out of my mind to even show up in a church. I felt so weird. I had been gone for four years, man. I felt like I was in exile. And I came back home, but it wasn't the same. I'm leading worship, and I'm like, I don't mean any of the words I'm saying. (laughs) I didn't, but I was like going through the motions, and I'm praying while I'm leading, like, Lord, I don't believe this like I'm not that guy anymore. Seven weeks go by, i I stumbled through it, I don't know, I got through it, and after seven weeks, these old ladies pulled me aside, and <laughs> they're like can we pray for you? We know it's your last week here, but we're going to miss you so much. Oh, sweetheart, you've been such a blessing to us. And I was like, me. <laughs> like I don't. I'm barely doing anything. And I like I can't even really get through a set the right way. And they're like, "Oh, man, can we just pray for you?" And they just prayed this encouragement over me. Oh, oh, these sweet old ladies, man, they put their they put the oil on my forehead and they're praying for me and They just encouraged me, you know, like it encouraged me when that guy called and thought of me. I was like, man, nobody thinks of me anymore. My phone was dead for years. For me, just like these people, nobody knew what was going on. If you knew me before, you probably didn't know that story. If you never knew me before, you didn't know that story. But if you would have come at me and rebuked me in that season, that I, I wouldn't have done a thing for me. What were you going to say to me that I already didn't say to myself? You could, could have come in, and, oh, man, you're a piece of garbage, man. I would have said, yeah, I know. Yeah, I tell, I tell myself that every day. I'm worthless. I'm not doing anything for the kingdom. The foundation's sitting over there, and I'm over here. I'm not building the house of God. I don't even know necessarily that I belong to the house of God anymore. I, I'm over here. But through the encouragement of the body of Christ, the Lord restored me. Not through rebuke or judgment. Through encouragement. And why do I even say all that stuff? (sighs) Because you don't ever know what anybody's going through. Just like the children of Israel right here. We could look at them and say, 16 years, you didn't do anything? Man, there was, there was a reason, obviously. The opposition was crazy. You wouldn't have done anything either. Lawyers coming after you, people, it, it says in one passage that they stood there with weapons so that they couldn't work at all. Someone's standing there with a weapon, and they're like, go ahead and work. Go ahead try. You're not going to do it either. They didn't do it either. The context, man, you don't know what people are going through. It's easy to read just Haggai and say, oh, man, those people, there they go again, being complete idiots. <laughs> But then you read Ezra and you're like, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. I, maybe I should have asked why. Maybe I should have got to know you a little bit before I judged you. Maybe I should have led with love or understanding or empathy or anything other than judgment. I don't know where I would be if those people didn't encourage me. I don't know that I would have come back. (laughs) Tender, remember? I don't know that I would have come back. I might have stayed there. I was lost. I knew the truth. I still knew Jesus. But I was like, nah, the church destroyed me. I don't believe in the church anymore. And the Lord told me there's a difference between the church and a church. A church can dunk on you. A church can be weird. A church can throw snakes at you. And do weird stuff, take their jacket off and hit you across the face. A church can lie to you. A church can misrepresent God. A church can burn you to the ground. A church can work you till your knuckles bleed and then kick you to the curb. (laughs) But don't confuse that with the church. Because the church is alive. The church, Jesus promised us that he would present us to the Father one day, blameless and without spot. Perfect. So the Lord would minister to me in those times. Bryn, sure, a church can hurt you. The church is alive. It's time to work. Be strong because I'm with you. My spirit is still in you. You're mine. The church is alive and well. And I would love for you to just wake up to that reality. The church is still here. A church, you might have had a bad experience. A person in the church, you might have had a bad experience. The church is still alive, and it's not just in Orange County. It's not just in America. It's worldwide, and that's the church that Jesus died for and is perfecting every single day. That's the church. When they were encouraged, they got back to work. When they were encouraged... They got back to work. When Haggai came with the word of the Lord, it was a word of encouragement. I'm with you. Be strong. It's time to work. My spirit's with you. Don't be afraid. Five years after that encouragement, they're back. They're restored. The temple's back. They could worship again. Joshua comes in and reestablishes the priesthood. That's the temple that would stand until Jesus came. That's the temple that he would go in with the cords and start whipping fools in. And say, you're misrepresenting God. He cleaned it from the money changers because they were being dirty to the people. And he said, these people need access to me. That's That's that temple. When Jesus rose from the dead, this is the temple that the veil was torn in. This is that temple. These people were encouraged. And then they worked and they built the temple that Jesus would be just right over there when he got killed looking at. And when he died and he rose again, conquering all of our enemies, Satan, sin and death, he would tear the veil from top to bottom in this temple that they got back to work on. And he would say, you don't have to do that anymore. You worked. Now it's time for me to work. And when my work is done, all the work is done. When he finished his work and that veil tore, we did not have to work for anything anymore. We don't have to because he invites us into salvation. He invites us into what he says is a finished work. What well, his last word is, it is finished. The work is done. And now he invites us into sons and daughtership. And he says, because I finished the work, I would love to work in you and through you. And we say, instead of saying, oh man, I gotta I gotta work for God, I gotta work harder, and I gotta work, work, work. It's like, no, I get now to work. I get to respond to His finished work and say, Oh man, if you were willing to do that for me, then it would be my joy to offer these little things for you. It would be my joy. You want me to clean a bathroom? You died for me. I'll clean a bathroom. That's easy. You encouraged me when I was discouraged. When no one else saw any worth in me, you left a throne in heaven in glory and you came and died for me. What, what's a work that's greater than that that I could do for you? There's not. We work from a place of joy, from a place of completion. So this book of Haggai, man, it's two years later from all these things I'm saying. And you know, It'll be two years um, in May, in two months, that, that uh, John Randall <laughs> called me and was like, where are you? I was like, <laughs> I'm way out in Egypt right now. And he was like, come back. We're doing this thing at the outlets. We just started. <laughs> you should come be a part of it. I just, I was just encouraged by a brother. And so I came. And I got to work. And when, when the people of God started to work, it's not like everything was perfect from there on. And the Lord brought in different corrections. You could read on. Read it. As they were working, the Lord would start to, hey, by the way, so, like, we're going to stop doing this now. But let's keep working. Okay, Lord. Keep working. Man, this temple's starting to look good. Hey, you know what? Why don't we stop doing this now? Yeah, you're probably right, Lord. Keep going. Let's do that. And he continues that work of sanctification. And he's doing that in every single one of us. And if tonight you're discouraged, man, I do not come to reap condemnation on you or shame or guilt. Or I don't want to discourage you further. I just want to encourage you. If you belong to Jesus, then be strong. Be encouraged tonight. His spirit is in you, alive in you. And you know what's crazy? The parallel? After Jesus tore that veil, what does the New Testament call us? A temple. A temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. his redemptive work continues in his people and now it's built in it's like i take the temple with me everywhere i go yeah and say thank you lord for who you are thank you that you're just that good to us that when we feel discouraged or or when we might even say about ourselves that we're not worth being saved or we're not worth being encouraged or we're not worth filling the blank. Lord, you looked at us in that worthless state and you said, he's mine. She's mine. And you did something about it. Lord, you pursued us in your love. You pursued us. And Lord, you continue... Because we are yours, you continue to bring us to a restored place. Lord, you're still bringing us back to that garden relationship. You desire that just like you did in the beginning. That was your plan. From the beginning, you wanted to dwell with us. And, Lord, that's still your desire. So, Lord, if there's anybody in here tonight that came in discouraged, I pray that you would encourage them. Lord, if there's anybody tonight that's in here that heard any of these words and thought, you know what, I need to relax on so-and-so or I need to stop being so hard on so-and-so or maybe I need to ask some questions to so-and-so and and get some context for their story because there might be a good reason they're in that place. Lord, I pray that we would reach out, that we would reach out to understand and that we would reach out to encourage. And that instead of condemning or judging our brothers and sisters, that we would seek to understand the why. And that we would bring encouragement, encouragement that leads to repentance and restoration in Jesus' name. Do that, Lord. We want that restorative work. Do it in us. Use us to do it in others. And continue to build your kingdom here.